launching a series called uh, Tis the Season, um, and uh, it's our Christmas series, and we're super pumped about it. I'm super pumped about it, uh, specifically, because I love Christmas. And uh, if you're taking notes, which I don't want to assume you are, but if you are, this message is called Deck the Halls. Very clever name, Deck the Halls. We're not going to sing Deck the Halls. Sorry, Heather. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, but that is the name of the sermon, the message. So... Uh, we're going to be looking at three primary passages um, today, starting out. And usually I like to pull from one primary passage or the most two, but I just really, really felt strongly this week as Craig and I actually kind of worked together more than I've ever worked with someone on a message. Craig's going to actually be preaching at the 1111 and the 505. I'm just going to preach tonight and at the 909 in the morning. But we worked together uh, more than I've ever worked together on a message, and it was so um, beautiful just being able to bounce thoughts off another person. And we came up, we, we kind of landed on these three passages, and we really felt like they tied well together and that they related to each other in a really beautiful way. And so if you guys will just kind of bear with me, uh, we're going to start in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Um, really light reading, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not controversial, not hard to read, not hard to accept, not hard to swallow at all. Very lighthearted. Um, those of you who are laughing, it's because you know Matthew 7, 21 and 23. Those of you who aren't, well, you're about to understand why I said it. I want to give a little bit of context before we read the scripture, okay? The gospel according to Matthew Okay, this is Matthew's account of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You've probably heard the term Sermon on the Mount before, right? Jesus is, it's very famous. So on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus did this really cool thing where he like busts out like 20-ish topics and just is like, bam, bam, bam. And for a lot of the topics, what he does is he takes this understanding of the Old Testament Mosaic Law, and then he gets to the root of it. He gets to the heart of it. And he says, yeah, you heard this. And this is what you know from the law, but this is actually like the root and the heart behind that law. And so you may have thought you were doing okay by just like following the, the rules over here, but if your heart was sour, you're missing the boat. And so that's what he does at the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to start in verse 21, chapter 7. I'm going to be read from the ESV. You read from whatever you like, but if you want it, the words to match, you can read from the ESV. Um, <laughs> Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Like I said, just really lighthearted. Um, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Right? Whew, Okay. Let's jump to Revelation chapter 2. I know, light reading tonight. We're just going, we're just going for the shallow end tonight. We're just, we're just sticking with the, with the ear tickling. I'm being sarcastic. Please understand that. Okay. We're going to really read from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Context for this scripture. Letter from John to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Okay. John receives an apocalyptic vision from God, and he's writing this letter to the churches, and he starts the letter with some greetings, some encouragements, some directions. Not all of it's very encouraging, but some different things. Talking to the churches and being like, hey, look, this is what's up. Just listen to me. So in chapter 2, he starts by addressing the church of Ephesus, okay, the Ephesians for, yeah. Um, we're going to start with verse 1. Uh, to the angel, I'm going to pause right there. 
angel, okay? Uh, most scholars actually agree, or at least a lot of scholars agree, that angel in this context is probably actually a human person. It's probably, the, the, the actual word there in the Greek is messenger. And it is translated to, to angel in a lot of translations, but there, a lot of scholars believe that that's actually probably a leader of that church or some kind of uh, apostle or some kind of pastor or something like that or a messenger of some other kind. But um, the, most scholars don't believe that's actually a celestial being. Not that there aren't celestial beings. I mean, obviously, angels are throughout the whole Bible. But in this specific context, we're thinking it's probably, not for sure, but probably a human leader of the church of Ephesus. And, it's, and it says, of the church of in Ephesus, right, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold, golden lampstands. Seven golden lampstands, we believe that that represents the seven churches, the seven churches of Asia Minor that John is writing to, okay? It says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostle and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are endurantly you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. And then finally, we're going to go back to Matthew. We're going to look at chapter 22. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. little context for this one. Jesus has just left Galilee gone to the region of Judea, and the Pharisees and Sadducees and these religious leaders, they've gathered to try to catch him in his words, to try to find a, a legitimate reason to accuse him, because they don't like him, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees are like, we don't like this guy. He's, you know, seems like he's claiming to be the son of God. He's talking about all these miracles. He's doing miracles on the Sabbath, it's stuff that they weren't, they, were, they weren't used to. And so they were, they were not feeling good about Jesus, right? And so he says in verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. So the Pharisees are like, oh, wow. Um, he's already basically told them that they should be quiet. Maybe not literally, but they're quiet now because he's talking with such authority. They gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, a lawyer, or an expert in the law. So the way that it worked, according to my understanding, is that when you were a child in this culture, you would have an opportunity to study the Old Testament scriptures, the law. And if you were really excellent, you might get the chance to become a Pharisee. You might. If you're really good, then you, I know, what a, what a privilege. <laughs> Um, but at that time, you, we've got to change our mindset a little bit right now because we always look, we look at, we read the New Testament being all the way over here in 2017 and we look at Pharisees and we go, we know those are the bad guys, right? But if you think about it, in the cultural context, they were the spiritual people of the day. So let's, let's put ourselves in that mindset. So if you're really excellent, you might be able to be a Pharisee. And if you were really excellent among the Pharisees, you might be considered an expert of the law. So basically the Pharisees got together and they took their smart guy, kind of the, you know, the really, you know, guy of the group. And they're like, all right, we're going to sick him on Jesus and he's going to trap Jesus because he's super smart. And so this uh, very smart expert in the law asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You guys pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word tonight, that your truth would be accepted, would go down deep into our hearts. And anything that is not your truth, anything that just might be silliness coming from me, we pray that that would fall to the ground. And that what would take root in each one of us is your word, your logos, your rhema, your truth. Lord, we pray that you would bring us into a new revelation of your love for us. A new revelation of what it looks like to be in intimate relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a lot of scripture. Um, let's, let's, let's transition. So Christmas series, really excited about the Christmas series. In fact, when I heard that I, got, I was going to get to open the Christmas series, I was really jazzed because, um, jazzed, literally jazzed, like, I mean, I didn't dance, but um, I do dance, though. I do dance. Omar, do I dance? I dance. Um, <clears throat> Christmas. I love the Christmas season. I love, absolutely, I know that, I know that Jesus is the reason for the season, and he is the focal point, okay? Let's get, let's make that clear. I don't need any emails about how I'm, okay. But I also love, I also really like the, all the festivities and, and, the, and the music. Some might even call me a Christmas fiend. Um, I, I, um, you guys have this silly rule. And when I say you guys, I mean most people, that's not me. And um, it's this rule about when we start listening to Christmas music. And I, over, I, I vote to overrule. There's this rule in our culture that says we can only start listening to Christmas music the day after Thanksgiving. And you know what I call that? A waste of a good month. I call that a waste of a good month. In fact, I have a different tradition. A different tradition. I think you guys will be in favor of it, really, unless you're Scrooge. Um, and that is, just kidding, you're not Scrooge if you disagree with me. I'm not trying to be manipulative. You can disagree and it's okay. But my tradition is that I start listening to Christmas music the day after Halloween. In fact, I think we should change the name of Halloween to Christmas Music Eve. Can I get an amen? So, um, let's do it. Let's write to President Trump and say, I, I think he'll be for it. I think it'll be good. So, um, yeah, you guys like see me all like emceeing at the City Fall Festival and I'm like, oh, he's, he's happy, he's excited. I mean, I like, I like the Fall Festival, it's cool. I like harvest parties, but really I'm like, it's Christmas Music Eve. It is Christmas Music Eve right now. In fact, next year, I might show up as Buddy the Elf. Just, just to rebel, just to rebel against these cultural confines that you guys are trying to, and I say you guys because most people other than me don't believe this way. You're trying to put me in saying you can't listen to Christmas music until the day after Thanksgiving. I've seen these animations, okay, offended by them, where there's a turkey and there's Santa, right? And the turkey's like all mad and he's like threatening the Santa and Santa's like, whoa, because he's like, don't steal my holiday. And I just like to look, never mind, I'm not going to go into that. Chris... Christmas, Christmas Music Eve, think about it. 
Think about it. We can talk later. Um, like, still to this day, my mom saves this, like, big, illustrious ceramic nativity scene for me to put up in her house. I have my own house now <laughs> with my own wife. And I, she still, she saves it for me. And so I go over there and with my own wife. That's a weird phrase, isn't it? <laughs> um, so there's this big ceramic scene, and she still waits for me, and I set it up, and I love it, and I, and I string little lights through it, and, 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 and baby Jesus, like, his, his hand is broken off, but it's still, like, it's, it's all, like, there's a lot of broken pieces, honestly, but, like, it's, anyways, I get into it. And, and in fact, tomorrow, I was, I was just telling you guys that Craig's preaching at the 1111, right? You know what I'm going to be doing at the 1111? I'm going to be driving to Spokane. Uh, is it Spokane? Yeah. Well, kind of. I'm going to be driving to Spokane, the, the Green Bluff area. And I'm going to chop down a Christmas tree. So while, you, while Craig is faithfully delivering a message that is probably a lot more serious and maybe, and just, you know, I don't know, than mine, I'm going to be listening to Dean Martin and not King Cole. And I'm just, I'm going to be grooving. And I am going to, I'm going to be, and I am going to go like the Christmassy lumberjack that I am. And I'm going to chop down a Christmas tree. And I'm going to have a blast doing it. See, I love, I love the whole Christmas season, and, and I don't think I'm the only one. It seems like there's enough of you who enjoy the Christmas season, okay? And again, please, in, in all seriousness, the point of Christmas is the birth of Jesus, okay? Let's get back to that. The point of Christmas is the birth of Jesus. The point of Christmas is the birth of Jesus, okay? Let's, I don't want you guys to think that I'm like, you know, rejecting the way. No, the point of Christmas is the birth of Jesus. I just like all the ways that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. They're all really fun. I don't know how elves relate to Jesus, but they're fun. <clears throat> but if you think about it, and the point tonight is um, really going to have to speed up. This is the intro. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you think about it, the, all, all the decorations and things, all the preparation, all the anticipation, all the, the festivities and the, and the different clothing and the, and the music and stuff, we can do that actually in, in, in the faith and the Christian faith as well. You know, a new person gets saved, and we start decorating them. And we start going, you got to get this, got this. And, and I would like to show you the similarity, not just tell you about it. Bryce, will you guys come up here real quick? Bryce? Can we give Bryce a hand? Okay. So, Bryce. Bryce, we're going to say Bryce is a new believer. Really, Bryce is a mature, uh, yeah. We're going to say you're a new believer, okay? Um, all right. So, you're a new believer, and I'm, I'm going to help coach you on what it means to be a new believer. Come up, come up here. We want people to see you. Yep, right there. I'm going to coach you a little bit on what, it, what, what you need to do, what you need to do, the different behaviors and decorations you need in order to be uh, a, a follower of Jesus. Um, so what, we're, what are we going to start with? Just like what we start with, what do we start with Christmas? Okay. Yes. You got to at least have lights. Right? At the very least, maybe they're just white lights like these. At the very least, if, if you don't want anyone to accuse you of being like bah humbug, you got to do lights. Even just a few. Maybe just over the door. But you got to have lights. Okay? And so for you, let's get you some lights. Oh, boy. Maybe unplug this part. And let's, uh, yep. Okay. For you, this is going to represent, okay? For you, look. You are a new believer. You need to rep Jesus wherever you go. You need, everyone needs to know that you're a follower of Jesus. 
by your activities, by, by the way that you carry yourself, it's really important, okay? It's really important that they know you got to be a light wherever you go, okay? Oh, I like that. You're even, okay, you're learning. You're, <laughs> see, you're already maturing. You're already maturing. It's really important, okay? And also, as a part of repping Jesus, we're going to go with this, okay? This is not Santa's hat. This is St. Nick's hat, Okay? <laughs> All right, none of that happy holiday stuff up in here. It's Merry Christmas. I'm kidding. Happy holidays is fine. Um, okay, good so far. What do we need next? What's, what's the next part of Christmas? Well, what I would say is if you're going to get in the Christmas spirit, you need an Advent calendar. Okay? And what I mean by that is that every morning, you need to take this thing out, find the day it's on, if once December has started, and you eat a piece of chocolate. Or a chocolate-flavored treat, which scares me when I see that. I go, you couldn't even legally call it chocolate? What is in this? And so, for you, you got, oh boy, you got, you got to get a devotional, okay? You got to get a devotional, and you need, you need to read it every day, Okay? All right? But the importance is consistency every time. Here, I'll just let you have those for now. Remember that. That's your devotional, okay? Next, really going, going really well along with that is, like I said before, my favorite part of Christmas, Christmas music, okay? Has anyone else seen one of these in like five years? This is what they call an iPod shuffle. And this isn't even what the first one looked like. Anyway, so this is our Christmas music, Okay? Because, what are the three rules of the elves, right? Treat every day like Christmas. Craig, you don't know the three rules of the elves? <laughs> what a silly thing. What are they teaching in the schools these days? <laughs> the three rules, treat every day like Christmas. There's room for everyone on the nice list. And the best way to spread... Did you say Holiday. okay. Forgiven. Grace. For you, you got to get in your zone, man. When you're reading your Bible, you, you want to pray and you want to listen to that Hillsong, okay? That Hillsong United, the Hillsong Young and Free, that Hillsong Live, Hillsong Chapel, Hillsong Kids, okay? Bethel, Elevation, you got to get in your zone, man. You want to you have that alone time, okay? You read your Bible, you pray, and you listen to lots and lots of worship music. Got it? Okay, awesome. Really important. Next, Events, okay? We got two different kinds of events. We got kind of the big events. Here, let's, let's find our events things. Oh, where are those? I know I put them in this time because we didn't have them last night. And then the green one? Oh, boy. Okay, well, these are some events that you need, but these aren't the ones I'm looking for. tickets. What'd you, what'd you do, man? Oh, yes. Got them. Right. So, if you're going to get in the Christmas spirit, you're going to need tickets to the Nutcracker, right? You're going to need tickets to the North Pole, right? The, the Hagadon cruise thing. And you're going to need tickets to the tree lighting ceremony, the Festival of Trees. And last but not least, you're going to need tickets to Santa's lap. 
for the kids. For the kids, okay? But here, for you, you got to be present on weekends, okay? you got to develop a value for the local church. But I'm, I'm not done with events yet, okay? Because not only do you need to be in the local church and, and be here on weekends, but you need to be joining small groups, okay? Small groups. And for us, for Christmas, everyone loves the white elephant gift exchange, the dinner parties. And who's the most popular person at those events? The person with the best food, okay? So you're going to need these for your potlucks. I don't know if you're going to be able to carry all of these, but for all your small groups, okay? We've got lots of small groups. We've got men's small groups. We've got single small groups. We've got young adults. I know you've been ducking me about young adults. Come to, come to young adults and bring some food, okay? So you got... Corporate, temple, house to house, temple, house to house, fly, baby, fly. Remember that, okay? All right, that's a part of it. That's a part of it, really important part of it. Now that we have you plugged in, we need to get you activated, all right? Getting in the Christmas spirit, generosity, okay? Getting in the Christmas spirit, it's, we want to give to other people. It's better to give than it is to receive, right? And what better thing to give candy canes? Why? Four basic food groups. Candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup. For you, for you, you gotta de- you have to develop a value for giving in your life. Generosity, right? Like my mom says, let generosity. Amen. So you get it, right? Okay. That's given. Donate to World Vision. Give to other charitable organizations. Give to people you see on the side the side of the street. Tithe. All of it. Okay. Got to be live generously. Okay. Now that we got you giving, ooh, this one might be hard to find. It's small. Oh. This one? Okay. All right. Are you sure? Doesn't look like it's in this one. Oh, nope. There it is. Okay. As a part of being benevolent during the Christmas season, you got to serve. And what better way to serve than to serve by the Salvation Army buckets, right? The red ones, okay? You got to go there, you got to ring your bell, and then when people pass you and don't give money, you got to give them a look and be like, Merry Christmas to you. I guess. Okay? Got to put in the hours, put in the time. You got to get, you got to get in the right mindset, okay? Because sometimes, I mean, that can, that can be a really hard thing. Got to be serving, bro. You got to be serving. We can get you on the fit team. We can get you on usher's team. We can get you on worship team. We can get you on media team. We can get you on father's market team. We can get you on kids ministry team. We can get you on nursery team. So many opportunities, but you got to be serving, okay? Greatest in, the ser- greatest in the kingdom is a servant. Okay, you got it. All right, and last but not least, but maybe least, I got to get these things. We got to have throw pillows and tinsel to celebrate Christmas. Why do you need these? No reason. No reason at all. It's very silly. And for you, these are the things that we do in Christian culture that we don't really have an explanation for. You know, whether it's the clothes we wear or some of the Christianese language we use, some of the haircuts we have, the beard cuts we have, the jewelry we have. All right. You know what? You look great. I think, I think he's ready for Christmas. I think he's ready to follow Jesus. Awesome. Let's give him a hand. What a great sport. All right. So obviously being pretty sarcastic and all that, uh, I don't want you guys to get me wrong. Thank you so much, Bryce. You you do look great. Um, Don't hear what I'm not saying. A lot of those things are great things. 
I really like holiday decorations, and a lot of the behaviors that we talked about are really good and even necessary. They're even, they can actually truly help you mature in Christ. So I'm not saying that they're not good things. It, let's, let's, let's take it back to scripture in Matthew chapter 7, okay? In Matthew chapter 7, in verses 21 through 23, Jesus wasn't at all saying that prophesying in his name and casting out demons in his name and doing mighty miracles in his name was a bad thing. In fact, quite the opposite. Because that's exactly, some of those, those three behaviors were three of the exact behaviors that some of his true followers, his true apostles did as they were leading the early church. So we're obviously not looking at bad things to do. Similarly, in Revelation chapter 2, John is actually commending, he's commending the church of Ephesus saying, you're doing all these good things. Let's just quote it. Revelation 2, verses 2 through 3. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. A commendation. It's, it's, it's very clear. Good job, Church of Ephesus. Then what's the problem? Because obviously we see a problem in both, in both of those verses as well. It's not, they don't just like end with that. And the problem, let's look at the challenges that Jesus and John gave. So Jesus in Matthew 7, 23, his challenge was, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then John's challenge, Revelation 2, 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Now, I want to take a look at these words. I think the highlighted words for me in those scriptures are, I never knew you, and you have abandoned the love. So if we look at that word knew in Matthew chapter 7, it's an interesting word. The Greek word is gnosko, and it's one of several Greek verbs that mean to know. But this is a special verb. Because it doesn't just mean to know in, in, in the context that we know. It, it has to do with experiential knowledge and firsthand acquaintance. It has to do with intimacy, even to the extent of sexuality. And let me give you an example, because I'm not just going to throw that out there and be like, okay, how do you know that? Well, let's go back to Luke chapter 1, which is actually the Christmas story, which I'm glad we can go back on that, because I love Luke chapter 1 in the Christmas story. But let's go to an awkward part of the Christmas story. Angel comes. Mary, you're pregnant. Mary, uh, I don't know if that's possible. You see, um, are you sure? Because I've never known a guy. You know what I mean? Never known. Okay, so how could I be pregnant? So that's the word she uses, gnosko. That's the actual word in Luke chapter 1. So obviously, there's this tone of intimacy there. And then for Revelation chapter 2, I don't think you'll be very surprised by the Greek word that is used there for love. And that is agape. Agape, it's the highest form of the, of the Greek words for love. It is the love that God has for us, a benevolent, caring, compassionate, divine love. So Jesus mentions a lack of personal intimate knowledge. John mentions a lack of genuine deep love as the issues at hand. But you might be saying, wait, 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 Seth. If you actually look back on the first verse you read, 721, uh, Jesus says something about doing the will of the Father. So I gonna don't don't try to work that around. Okay, let's go back to that verse. I'm glad you mentioned it. Good catch. Matthew 7:21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The question then becomes, what does it mean to do the will of the Father? 
I'm not going to try to answer this in an exhaustive, complete way, because I think the will of the Father is a lot bigger than I understand. I think there are some things that we can understand by what Scripture says. I think there's some things that we don't understand about the will of God. But I will say that I don't think it's too far a stretch to make an inference based on Matthew 7:23 that has something to do with knowing him. Because the direct response, the first response that Jesus gives when these guys, this example that Jesus gave these guys, oh, we did this, we did this, we did this, all in your name. We did really good things, Jesus. First response, nothing else. I never knew you. So maybe the, inf- the inference is too much. Let's look directly to scripture at Matthew 22, okay? Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Really interesting thing here. That, what are you saying right there was actually a quote. Some of you who know, who know the, the Old Testament well will know that's a quote. That's actually a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a special part of Deuteronomy chapter 6 called the Shema, which was a very, very uh, commonly repeated and, and used word in that Hebrew culture. And they would have known it pretty well. But the interesting thing here is that Jesus misquotes the Shema. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that that was on purpose. Uh, because I don't think Jesus would have accidentally misquoted the Shema there. The Shema, the last word is might or strength, but Jesus decides to use, to use the word mind. Now, to be fair, there are some other gospel accounts that use both. They say mind and they say strength. But whether it's a substitution or an addition, I think it's interesting that he would add it. With all these Pharisees listening and all these these experts of the law listening, he would misquote one of the most important texts in the Jewish culture. And I think it speaks to his ministry on earth, similarly to how he spoke on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus came and got to the heart of things. Rather than focusing on this outward expression, even though that's very important, he got to the heart of it with all your mind. Not just all that you can do with all your might and your strength, but actually what's going on inside of you. So what does it mean to do the will of the Father? Well, it appears to me that to do the will of the Father, more so than the works that were mentioned in Revelation 2 and Matthew 7, is to know him and to love him. Now, let's, for the, I think we can summarize to know and to love as intimate relationship. Now, this is not at all to say that good works do not have a vital and necessary role in the walk of a believer. Here's what I don't like. I don't like and I don't want to be a preacher who comes and, and offers an imbalanced message for the sake of making a point. Because I don't think that's the right thing to do. It's really nice for making a point, but it doesn't leave us with the most solid doctrine and the solid, most solid theology. So what I do want to say is that the good works that a believer walks in are an important part of their life. But my goal here today is not to throw the works out the window. My goal here today is to put them in a healthy place. It's to put them in their rightful place. And what I mean by that is that in order for good works to be within the will of God and in order for them to be in, right, in the right place, they have to be done. They must find their purpose in Hear this, purpose in and then flow from intimate relationship with God. Their purpose in and flow from. Let me explain what, I'm using those two descriptions very, very intentionally this morning. Let's remind ourselves about how we decorated Bryce. Repping Jesus, prayer and biblical devotions, 
gathering corporately and in small groups, giving and serving. With each one of those, in order for them to be good, they must start with a motivation and a purpose for a deeper knowledge and love of God. That must be the motivation for why we rep him. That must be the motivation for why we devote ourselves. That must be the motivation for why we gather. And that must be the motivation for why we give and serve. But not only are they the motive, but they are actually also, they're the motive and it drives us to them, but they're actually the outflow or the overflow from intimate knowledge and love of God. Because it's, it's this really cool cycle that happens. I love God, so I do stuff for God. And it produces this deeper knowledge and love for God. And it produces this desire to do more stuff for God. And it produces this deeper knowledge and love of God. And that produces a deeper desire to do things. What's important is that it's in the right standing. We have a healthy understanding that the roots and the foundation must be in the person of Jesus. When it comes to Christmas, I think a lot of us actually get this. We get that Christmas is about the birth of Christ. We get that, we get, we, you know, we say things like, don't forget, Jesus is the reason for the season, oh, right? Keep the Christ in Christmas, right? The, we, we get that Christmas, it's really important with all the decorations that we make sure that it's about Jesus. Yeah. It's as if to say, in true Christmas form, go with me, that if every light put up, every stocking hung, every gift purchased, and every carol sung does not point to God's only son, then we have missed the point of all we've done. Now, that's, that's true enough and, you know, cute with a little Christmas rhyme. But the stakes are actually a lot higher when we're talking about the life of a believer. For if the person of Jesus and our relationship with him is not the focal point of our lives, the focal point of every word spoken, every scripture read, every prayer prayed, every song sung, every dollar given, every minute volunteered, every disease healed, every prophecy delivered, and every miracle done, we have tragically missed the point of our existence. <laughs> the point of our existence, a little heavier than missing out on the true meaning of Christmas. So what do we do? Because the whole point of this message is that the meaning of life is not in the doing, right? So what's the practical? I've never in, in my memory preached a message without having like a nugget some nuggets of, of like, here's, your, here's the way to apply this to your life. Um, so this will be the first one. But for the sake of decoration, here lies the application section of the message. Pray that God, ask God to change the way you think. But you caught me, right? Because that's one of my decorations. Prayer was one of your decorations. Okay, sure. We'll call it prayer. But we're not talking about the prayer that you check off in the morning as one of your pious duties. We're talking about something very different than that kind of prayer. What I'm talking about is a conversation that you have with your dad. What I'm talking about is a conversation that I've had to have with dad over the past several months because I find myself dangerously empathetic to the church of Ephesus. I find myself trying to do the right thing for the most part, say the right thing for the most part, have the right opinions, the right beliefs, 
for the most part. But what could be held against me at times is that I have lost my love. I get so caught up in building worship sets and leading worship and leading the team and meeting with people for coffee and answering phone calls and, and making phone calls out and shooting texts over and, and, and trying to get up in the morning, read the Bible and pray and do all my little things that are important. And I can just hear the Father saying, when are we going to hang out though? I like the things you do, but I love hanging out with you. Maybe you're like me, and you are doing your best, and you're trying to, like, you know, be good with your family, you know, trying to, you know, interact well with your spouse, trying to care for your kids, trying to do your job with integrity, trying to come to church, more like be the church, but you're trying to attend gatherings, trying to attend small, you're trying to serve, trying to give, trying to be really generous, trying to be really kind, but there's something inside of you that at the end of the day, there's this emptiness, and it's because at times, this isn't to beat you up because I'm in the same boat with you. So you abandon your love. Maybe, maybe that's not where you're coming from this morning. Maybe you're hearing this message and you're saying, I can't relate. I can't relate, Seth, because I'm not really concerned with any of those decorations because honestly, man, I'm not even sold on this like Jesus guy that you keep saying is like the purpose, the point, reason for the season, all that. Or maybe... Maybe he was at one time, but the, the worries and the pains of the world led you to reject this free love that he's given you. If that's you today, welcome. I'm so glad you came. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm so glad that in spite of maybe everything that you've heard about God and the church, about every pain, painful treatment or word that you've received from someone who claims the name of Jesus. By the way, I'm not trying to beat up on those people because I was one. I was someone who claimed Jesus and didn't represent him well at all. So if you came here in spite of how I treated you in high school, thank you for being here. And my message to you today is real simple. You can kind of I mean, don't ignore all the other things I said because that'll be important as you move forward. But my message to you today is that there is a God and he loves you. And there's no shadow he wouldn't light up. There's no mountain he won't climb up. There's no wall he won't kick down. There's no lie he won't tear down. Coming after you. He'll leave the 99 because he wants to hang out with you. His love for you is passionate. His love for you is fierce. His love for you is even violent, I would say. Why would you say violent? Because there's violence to his love. The focal point of history is a violent scene, my friends. The focal point of history is a perfect, spotless, never done one thing wrong son of God hanging on a cross. Nails in his hands, nails in his feet, crown of thorns dug into his skull, lashes from a cat of nine tails, not talking about a fun little Indiana Jones whip, but pieces of glass and shards of metal ripping the flesh from his body and then hung up on a cross. Why? Because God wanted to hang out with you. And he's wanted to hang out with you and he's been waiting for you 
since he formed you in your mother's womb, whether you believe it or not. Would you guys stand with me? I want to read an excerpt from a book. We're about to sing a song, but I first want to read an excerpt from a really uh, a great, beloved book. It's not the Bible, but it is, and it's not close to the Bible, but it's good. It's, it's a great book. Um, the context, I want to give you a little context before we leave this excerpt, because otherwise you might be confused just jumping into it. This book is about an orphan. It's about an orphan who was mistreated as a child. Um, he was ridiculed for the way he looked, for the way he acted. He was different from the other kids. And uh, so much so that as a child, he leaves his home down and goes into the wilderness and lives as this recluse for his teenage years and for a lot of his adult years. And all that time, there's this cycle of bitterness and anger and hatred and bitterness and anger and hatred welling up inside of him for all these people that mistreated him that leads him to one day make a decision, a pretty sinister decision, to go and infiltrate some of their homes, take some of their most prized possessions, not so that he could have them and enjoy them, but just so that they would suffer, so that they could feel maybe a little bit of the pain that he felt as a child. So we find our anti-hero about to destroy all of those things. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without packages, boxes, or bags, and he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, is a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And the minute his heart didn't feel quite so tight, he whizzed with his load through the bright morning light. And he brought back the toys and the food for the feast. And he, he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beast. <laughs> Penned by the great philosopher, Theodore Geisel. But we know him as... Now, I don't think Dr. Seuss would claim to be a theologian, and, I don't, and I'm not claiming that today. Don't hear that. But I do think that he had this understanding that the who and the why are a lot deeper than the what's 